Welcome again to Language Made Difficult, a fair and balanced part of the Spectrogram podcast. I'm your host, David Peterson. Back again with me in the equipment closet of the John Wilkins Conference Room is oatmeal and balloon enthusiast Trey Jones. Hey, everybody. And joining us live via satellite from the red and yellow nights section of the Medieval Times in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, Bill Spruill. Hello. Uh, Keith Slater would love to have joined us today, but he's on mandatory administrative leave due to the Pinnacle Sherpa uh, situation. We hope he's doing well wherever he is, and if you can hear us, Keith, Boil the water they give you before drinking it, please. Thank you for joining us. All right, uh, to kick things off, let's hear some more lies, damn lies, and linguistics from Trey Jones. All right, you guys know the drill. We've got three language-related items. Two of them are true, one is false. You guys have to figure out which is which, and after you make your guesses, we will discuss. Item number one, the Peruvian language, Capanahua, uses multiple negations. For example, ha means he. If you add the negation particle ma, and you get hama, meaning not he. Ha mama means not not he, or he indeed. And there's a triple negation of ha ma mama, which means not 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 he, meaning someone else. Hmm. Number two, Luganda, a major language of Uganda, has no grammatical tense, aspect, or mood. Instead, it's all done with smoke, mirrors, and adverbs. Number three, in Yuchi, a language spoken in the U.S., there are ten grammatical genders. Six are for Yuchis, three are for inanimate things, and the last one is for animals and non-Yuchi humans. Bill, you go first. Okay, on number one, I'm suspicious because that uses sort of layered negation scope, which is the kind of thing that's dreamed up by grammarians and logicians, not natural language users. Number two sounds perfectly believable unless the claim that it's done with smoke, mirrors, and adverbs is to be taken absolutely literally, which um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of doubt, you know, because it, it would probably be smoke, mirrors, and dried fish or, you know, mm. something. For the Yuchi one, I find that pretty believable, too, because it certainly would not be the first time that a language had ten grammatical genders. I'm going to go with saying number one is the false one, simply because it's way too analytic, logic-y. All right. David? Wait, I, I guess I've forgotten how this works. We're picking the false one? <laughs> yeah. Two of, two of these are true. Two of these are true. you got to be kidding me. All right, okay, two of these are true. Then, in that case, number three has to be true. If you say anything that has to do with uh, noun gender or noun, or noun classes, I believe it. And that just doesn't sound too far off. Now, the second one... <sighs> No tense, you said. No, no, no tense. I, no tense, I, aspect, or mood. Yeah, it's just that's just a bunch of nonsense. No, I, I I cannot believe that that's true. Now, the first one I thought might actually be true, despite the fact that you are kind of a math guy, and I can see you creating something like that. Even so, I'm going to go with one and three are true. Number two is false. Okay, so let's see. Let's start with number three. Uh, you guys both agree that one's true. And in fact, it is true. Awesome. Turns out the Yuchi have a pretty high opinion of themselves. Uh, if they got six genders, six grammatical genders for themselves, and then they lump uh, <laughs> animals and non-Yuchi humans together. That's pretty funny. Yeah. It turns out that the second one is in fact false. Yes! Uh, <laughs> Take that, Bill. Uh, Luganda is actually the opposite of what I said. It has a hideous system. It has uh, far past, near past, present, near future, far future tenses. Mm -hmm. It has continuative, recapitulative, narrative, and efficative aspects, uh, conditional and subjunctive moods, and a bunch of other stuff. Those are all affixival adverbs. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the triple negation... Uh, in the Peruvian language is actually true as far as my sources are concerned. Are your sources all 
Computer programmers. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know what? The the triple negation doesn't really make sense to me. Oh, it makes sense to me. Well, just think about it. Okay, it's it, it's him, right? Or it's he, and there's not he, and there's right. not not he. Sure. And then there's not 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 he. So it's got to be somebody else. Right? Uh, well, if you view negation as sort of a toggle, then it's like saying it's not unusual, right? I mean, you get that double negation in there, and it means it's it is usual, but you're sort of you're changing this, the yeah, emphasis. That, that, the, the actual toggle has three settings. There's a zero setting between the positive one and the negative one. So it, it's uh, it's not 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 he, but it's not he either. When you say that that way, you've got you need five of them. <laughs> now that I could do. So you say it's it's not not. <laughs> But it's also not. So that would just be with three. You could, you know, add one more to each one. That would be okay too. That one doesn't seem overly mathy or computery to me. Anyway, it is nonetheless apparently true. I still think that with a robust enough definition of adverb, Luganda is doing everything with them. <laughs> it's hard to argue that. All right, uh, we've got some language news up for you next. But first, a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is underwritten by an overly generous grant from the Office of the Controller General of Specgram. I'm watching you, word nerds. Okay, we're back. Now for some language news. The BBC reports that researchologists have found the oldest words of English. They are, in an order that I'm about to give them, I, who, we, two, three, and five. And a bit of breaking news, the youngest word of English is crangulate, which I invented right now. Given how old these old words are, please, though, be careful in using them as they may die at any moment. In fact, David will now refrain from using the first-person pronoun due to the fact that he holds it in such esteem. Trey, can efforts be made to preserve these elderly words that are on death's door as David and friends speak? <laughs> I don't think we need to preserve these words because I don't think they're actually in any kind of danger. I think what the, the only preserving that was going on is they're preserving the reputation of the linguists involved in this study by not naming names. First thing I thought of when I read it was that it's a good thing they didn't say who they were when the professor they did interview said, we have lists of words that linguists have produced for us that tell us if two words in related languages actually derive from a common ancestral word. And it's this all just sounds like some prank that a bunch of linguists played on, its, on a bunch of evolutionary <laughs> biologists and it's gotten totally out of hand. My second thought was, oh great, they've rediscovered glottochronology and pushed it just past its logical conclusions. <laughs> And then I thought maybe I need a stiff drink because academia is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, since you brought it up, I have to say this is probably some of the worst science journalism I have ever seen. Here's, here's one of the quotes. I'm skipping the middle part here. Across Indo-European languages, the vocal sound made to express a given concept can be similar. That was written in this article. Yeah. <laughs> The only hope that these people have is that this article was just so poorly written that they actually did something useful and meaningful, and it was butchered by the, the journalist. <laughs> but I think actually the, the linguists pranked the uh, Evo biotypes. And... Uh, it sounds likely. I, I would say it's certainly the best possible scenario for this. Though um, I, I would also say that this was the BBC News, of course. If you read this with a British accent, it actually kind of sounds smart. So here's, here's that same quote. Across Indo-European languages, the vocal sound made to express a given concept can be similar. Sounds better, huh? It does sound better. <laughs> that went from horrible to merely bad. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Uh, so, Bill, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, the effect you're mentioning with British English is officially known as the Stephen Fry effect. 
it has been observed on multiple BBC specials where Stephen Fry says silly things about language, but they don't sound bad. <laughs> Number two, I agree that the article was either horribly written or the journalist was very inventive. If we take it literally, we're left having to figure out, for example, in one place they say that words are comprised of sounds and that the pronoun I is one of the oldest words in the language. It wasn't awfully long ago when that pronoun was pronounced each, yeah. you know, for example, Old English. And before the great vowel shift, it was not pronounced I either. And in Liverpool, it's apparently I, you know, is that the same pronoun or not? Who knows, according to this. So if they want to have sounds being used to identify the age of these things, then they've lost the actual age. If they turn around and want to say, well, there's this one concept that all languages have, but it, it the, the words for it are shared across Indo-European, whatever that means, there's no way to rule out other concepts that we still don't have words for and say they were always there. <laughs> and our absence of pronouncing them has stayed exactly the same because that moment of silence when you're not saying that word has not changed. <laughs> And there are potentially an infinite number of these, okay, some of which are only said by dead people. Right. <laughs> I think identifying the small group of words and saying, even though different language speakers don't pronounce them the same, it's still the oldest word, is kind of boring when you could instead be dealing with this giant set of fascinatingly bizarre words, like one that means specifically, you know, enthusiastically octagonal or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. That is very not 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 interesting, Bill. <laughs> Which it means that someone else is interesting. It's interesting it's interesting to someone else, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just never the hearer. I was thinking about what you were saying about the, the other end of European languages and, of course, the, the Old English um, uh, first-person pronoun sounds very similar to the uh, modern German one. But the Romance languages are completely different. It sounds like just a, a simple survey of, of high school-level language classes sort of casts serious doubt on their conclusions here about the first-person pronoun being particularly old because it doesn't sound anything. I mean, just not only the differences that you were saying in, in varieties of English, I mean, yo in Spanish and je, in, in French, that's enough to say that this can't be tens of thousands of years old. Unless you say, okay, but we know what the pronunciation changes were, and we'll work it backwards. But if you do that, you can't turn around and talk about the words as being, quote, comprised the of sounds. sounds in the same way. You're bringing your outside knowledge in to bear on this article. Let's just work with what's well, in the article itself. All right, so, so here's, <laughs> here, here's another quote. For example, dirty is a rapidly changing word. Currently, there are 46 different ways of saying it in the Indo-European languages, all words that are unrelated to each other. As a result, it is likely to die out soon in English. If we use that logic... <laughs> then we could be likely to lose the word I as well, since it's pronounced differently in so many different languages. And apparently, it being pronounced differently in languages other than English has a direct bearing on its status in English, just like the word dirty, which apparently we're going to lose very soon. By the way, to add to that list, these are some other words we're also apparently going to lose very soon. Stick, guts, push, turn, and wipe. So um, use them while you can. That sounds like a really bad set of, of poorly translated instructions there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Stick guts, push, turn, wipe. <laughs> and dirty would be the comment on that. <laughs> I think we then we may have created several immortal words. Then uh, coffee, mango, tea. These are pronounced the same or very similarly in languages, not just across Indo-European, but you know across the, uh, all the languages of the, of the world. And copyright violation. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Actually, you bring up a very good point. If, if let's say, a, an alien race were to come to Earth and they say, well, just give us the five most common words, they'd probably be something like, you know, tea, coffee, television, uh, YouTube, and Facebook. I think Google would beat out Facebook. Uh, actually, nowadays, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Goodness. Well, anyway, uh, if you're listening to this in the future, the word stick refers to the scummy residue left behind after washing a dirty bowl in the sink. And uh, dirty means large. Now for something slightly different. This next article that we're going to talk about is very special for me personally. I've long maintained, and I continue to stand by this claim, by the way, that children are idiots. Many linguists sit in awe and wonder at the ability of children to learn almost through osmosis uh, their native language. Uh, some go so far as to believe that the task is so difficult that children couldn't possibly do it on their own and have some sort of a magical fairy nymph in their head called universal grammar that separates the true from the false for them. Thankfully, these cockamamie theories can be put to bed, for almighty science has found that, and uh, it, it gives me chills to say this, children are worse at learning language than adults. Take a moment to drink that in. Linguists at the University of Haifa in Israel created a language learning experiment and gave it to children of 8 and 12 and then also adults. They originally gave it to children of 5, but they were so bad at it that they just threw the results out. Uh, unsurprisingly to me, the children of 8 did poorly, the children of 12 did pretty good, and the adults did the best. And not only that, the experiment apparently also showed that children's pronunciation is inferior to that of adults. Well, I'll go ahead and say it. This is just about the best day of my life. Finally, what I believe to be true has been proven true. What, if anything, is wrong with this scenario, Bill? Well, they needed to do an additional experiment to validate their findings. Their explanation of the tendency for children to eventually become better speakers of another language than adults is that people don't correct adults because adults get offended when you correct them, whereas children do not get as offended when you correct them. There's a point to that. When you provide additional feedback to a child that kind of contradicts what they think about language, the child typically does not become upset. Mm. But they could have tested this quite easily by setting up an experiment in which the children were provided with feedback that they did find offensive. <laughs> So that you could test to see with, with that, you know, what would happen under that circumstance. Now, correcting their grammar might not do that because they're, they're kind of used to it, mm -hmm. potentially, although right. most of the time it's indirect negative feedback. But you could, for example, set up the experiment that children are, are learning, and then you toss in occasional comments like, oh, all the Lego people died. <laughs> or... <laughs> or, well, we're out of cookies, but we do have Brussels sprouts. <laughs> 
That's um, child abuse. Oh, I like typi- it. Typically, children under in those circumstances will become, you know, will become emotionally agitated, and then you could actually measure, especially if this were continued over multiple exposures, measure whether it inhibited their language learning over time in the same way that it does with adults. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. I think they need to do it. There's still the, the question of why kids are generally regarded by so many people as being better at the learning languages. Mm-hmm. I think this is because, while in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, in practice there is. Okay. Children are more motivated to learning a language, especially their first language, than adult learners are learning a second language. Mm. You have no, no form of communication. Obviously, you're, you're really motivated to get some form of communication. And they're rewarded and praised for any mediocre performance. <laughs> You know, and they, they also have fewer communicative needs, right? I mean, you know, basic things like, you know, being hungry, being thirsty, needing your diaper changed or whatever. Actually, as I recall from my children, all three of those were the same when they were really young. It was just kind of wah. <laughs> Even the relatively motivated adults tend to feel stupid in a foreign language because they can't come close to expressing the full range of, of the thoughts that they're capable of having. Mm. Oh, one of the things that, that they didn't talk about, it be a really interesting add-on experiment, is given that adults are better at this because of their, their superior analytical skills, I think linguists would be even better... <laughs> <laughs> because they have a good descriptive framework on which to hang their analyses, right? So that's the theory. But then in practice, for linguists, it's even it's even worse because you know why actually go to all the trouble of learning you know these confusing, strong, definite article endings in German when you can just give up after a short while and write an article about it. <laughs> and yes, I'm talking about the ladies of the Specgram Margot cult. Check out the October issue. Nice. Now, really, though, what you're saying, though, just provides further evidence that there's nothing miraculous or special about children's brains. It's just basically the circumstances of being a child, uh, the, the real world, real life circumstances, yeah. uh, you know, allow them to devote more of their energy to learning this language. Right. They have more time, too. They have more free time. Yeah, plenty. Well, ch- children are also expensive to a much wider range of registers than adults are when they're learning language, and that has an effect. Where, where they do seem to have an unusual advantage is in learning pronunciation, eventually. Uh, I, you know, I, I wonder about that because I think that may just be motivation. Again, I don't think adults are motivated to try really hard to, to perfect their pronunciation because it is difficult, but once you get good enough, you know, and if you've got that sexy French accent, why would you want to make it better? I mean, better, you know, better English when you can, you can have the sexy French accent, as opposed to a kid who hasn't mastered the pronunciation, they get sent off to the speech therapist. Yeah. On the one hand, you have an adult with a sexy French accent with no motivation to improve their pronunciation, and then a kid who has to spend every Thursday at the speech therapist is going to be much more motivated. Now, I challenge any four-year-old to pronounce any English word with the letter R in it. I'll smoke them. <laughs> I'm pretty darn good at it. No, actually, what you mentioned, Bill, is just there's this little throwaway part in the article. Where was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the actual quote. The results are exciting, says David Birdsong from the University of Texas, Austin, particularly the finding that children's pronunciation is inferior to that of older subjects. And that's the only mention that it gets. So it's kind of just, a, at least as far as, you know, this just this, you know, science journalism article, it's just a throwaway comment. But there's something there which suggests maybe adults are actually better, if properly motivated. Yeah, they weren't able to follow these children over an extended period of time. So what you might find is that if you keep the same subjects in a longitudinal study for 
like, you know, 10 years, as if, right? Mm. That children's pronunciation targets start out further away from native speaker targets, but converge on native speaker targets faster over time than the adults do. So the adults start out with a better approximation, but it doesn't move as much. But I see you'd, ha- you'd have to provide appropriate motivation for the adults. Yeah. And I think you could do that with, with like a cattle prod. I bet if you had, an, especially a linguist, yeah. but even even any given adult, and you, you shock them every time they said something wrong, I bet they'd get better faster. I have designed a number of experiments, and none of them get IRB approval. So <laughs> um, I think that the other types of issues, like you have to hear a lecture every day for an hour and a half about reflexive pronoun scope, but we'll trim 10 minutes of it off every time you get closer to the pronunciation target. <laughs> Unfortunately, everyone on the IRB committee knew what reflexive pronoun scope was and therefore figured out that it would be cruel and immediately rejected it. Nice. Well, personally, I issued this challenge to any five-year-old. Over the next five years, I will try to learn the native language of that five-year-old, provided that we have the exact same responsibilities. Yeah. Identically. So either... I agree. Yeah, either I don't have to make my own meals, uh, I don't have to clean up my room. I'll go to, to say, first through third grade. I'll do that over again, no problem. But uh, I don't need to pay for anything. I am showered with love and attention and gifts on holidays. So either that or you make that five-year-old provide for himself and his family, like get an actual job. And not only that, all the adults around him have to ridicule him when he doesn't speak the language correctly. Do that, and I say at the end of those five years, I'll be speaking that language better than that 10-year-old. I believe that is true. Or the 10-year-old will be a presidential candidate, one or the other. Mm. Either way, we couldn't lose. That's true. There you go. (laughs) All right. Hey, Noam Chomsky, if you're listening, make the check out to David Peterson. If I don't see it in the mail in the next two weeks, you're going to hear from me, and believe me, you don't want that. Next up, we have another question for Mr. Linguist. First, though, a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Psymeticus Press, publishing great linguistics research since before the Great Vowel Shift. We're back. Today we have another question for Mr. Linguist from Kavina Bickelson of New Haven, Connecticut. She asks, Was there really a dinosaur called a thesaurus? Well, there it is, Mr. Linguist. Your response? Ah, this good question. Thank you, Savina. We find evidence of the existence of lizard known as thesaurus in personal libraries of former English majors from 1980s and earlier. Most specimens not in good condition, but nevertheless, we have collected enough of them to reconstruct what we believe to be original thesaurus, captured and tamed by famed animal hunter Peter Madmark Roger. According to records, Roger had trained the animal to roar when presented with words which were similar to other words. For example, before great audience in Moscow, Idaho, uh, Roger brought animal and said the English word happy. Then audience members get up one by one and say other words, usually prepared, uh, such as uh, first one say blue and lizard do nothing, second say large and lizard do nothing, uh, third say sad and lizard growl, uh, then the fourth say content and great lizard roar and audience applaud and so on. Uh, it was great show by early reports, and Roger even take down list of words from show and publishing book. Not so very well, I understand. But then one day, something terrible happened. Uh, word presented to Mighty Thesaurus was uncommon. An audience member come up and say, uh, unique. Lizard do nothing. 
Audience member become very angry. See, uh, you need a synonym for one comment. Uh, lizard growl and get angry. Audience member get angry too. And demand money back and hit throw popcorn at lizard. Long story short, 83 people lost their lives that day in lizard driving car over cliff into Grand Canyon chased by mini police. Uh, made into great movie, I hear, but uh, make uh, little changes. Uh, thank you for good question. Always happy to help. Words of wisdom from the fount of knowledge. Thank you, Mr. Linguist. Well, that's all the time we have on Language Made Difficult. Join us next time when we interview John Jacob Jingleheimer Jones, author of Tales of Prescriptivism. I'm okay. You're clearly wrong. Thanks for listening. The Pinnacle Sherpa debacle. We've got some languages news for you. So, David, are you keeping score? Because you just caught up with Bill. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and that is additional evidence that those are suffixival adverbs. That doesn't make math sense. It makes David sense. And I figure that humans' brains are closer to my brain than they are to your brain, Trey. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Hola. That's Spanish for hello. I eat. I eat. Trying not to do real linguistics <laughs> But see, if it happens once, it's a performance error. So it doesn't count as data. It was a few weeks before Christmas. Someone had mentioned Santa Claus. And the kid said, what will be he bringing me? Oh, wow. Okay. All right, cool. Then I guess I just heard it wrong in my brain. What's brown and sticky? A stick. Oh, but then the verb agreement is wrong. It hurts. It hurts. So I found myself, you know, after the class trying to rapidly say Supaliliuma Sac Cities by the Seashore.